0: The final full day of summer, and it's supposed to be beautiful. So we'll get to the episode and get you out to the day. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura Johnston, Lisa Garvin, and wrapping up a period where she's been a regular, Courtney Astolfi. Thanks for taking some time out from your beat to be a participa- participator in the podcast. Let's begin. How has the wording been changed for the abortion amendment on the Ohio ballot in November? And how much does this fight really matter, Laura?
1: The wording probably won't change any hearts and minds. People already know how they're going to vote. By the way, early voting for military and overseas, ballots are starting to get mailed today. So we are officially in the voting period. the new language that the Ohio Ballot Board approved is largely the same as the version the GOP-controlled panel approved last month. There's one exception, and it's not what I thought it was gonna be. So the new version swaps out language that says the amendment would prohibit the citizens of Ohio from prohibiting, burdening, or penalizing abortion before fetal viability. In it's place, it says the amendment forbids the state from doing so. So I don't I don't really think that's gonna change anybody's opinion. The thing I thought that was the most egregious that the Democrats are arguing is the use of the word unborn child instead of fetus.
0: Yeah, but the only thing that's going to do is is rile up people to make sure they vote. I, that that kind of putting your thumb on the scale, as we saw with issue one, Ohioans don't like that. So it, it'll backfire. It's a dumb move. They should have gone along with what we suggested. Just run the whole amendment. It's only a few right. words longer than this. This you know misleading. Two hundred and
1: fifty words. It's not. It's not the redistricting proposal. Right.
0: They could have just printed that, let people make up their own minds. But because Frank LaRose insists on putting his thumb on the scale because he thinks it'll drum up pay or, or donations, uh, he does it. So it'll backfire and more people will probably vote than we're going to before. Is it final or are the Democrats going to fight it again?
1: No, the Democrats ended up voting for the new language. One of them, state representative elliot forehand said that the new version was better than the previous one so at this point i mean like i said the ballots went out nobody's if you're fighting over this you are just confusing voters so i think this is going to stand
0: the confusion is what we talked about yesterday that it's issue one and now if you voted against yeah. issue one you vote for issue one that's going to be head spinning
1: we do have a story up from laura hancock two stories today explaining issue one and issue two issue two is the marijuana amendment so that hopefully people can can forget everything from august and relearn again that was on the front of the plane dealer today too
0: okay you're listening to today in ohio lisa we've thrown some shade at the idea of declaring east palestine a federal disaster as that declaration is normally reserved for acts of god not negligence by a big company where you can go for your damages Governor Mike DeWine sought that declaration anyway. What is Joe Biden's decision?
2: So President Biden kind of met him halfway. He issued an executive order that directed FEMA to designate a federal disaster recovery coordinator for the long term at the February train derailment site in East Palestine. But he's holding off on Governor DeWine's request for a major presidential disaster declaration. He says he wants to give time to submit information on possible future needs that cannot be addressed by Norfolk Southern or state and local governments, and then that would invoke federal assistance under the Stafford Act. He says he still plans to hold Norfolk Southern Southern fully accountable for the accident, and he did note, in this executive order that the Environmental Protection Agency was on site right after the accident. They've collected 18,000 air samples, 3,000 soil samples, 3,200 surface water samples, and then they've done 31 rounds of drinking water testing. So Senator Sherrod Brown, the Democrat from Cleveland, says it's an overdue but welcome step. He says there's a lot more work to do. But U.S. Representative Bill Johnson, the Republican from Marietta, he says the executive order is insubstantial. And he intimated that the White House had to be on record as doing something in East Palestine before a scheduled hearing today with Norfolk Southern, the Ohio EPA and East Palestine officials. That was postponed anyway because of issues in, in Congress.
0: Look, nobody trusts the railroads to do the right thing here. We all get that. They, they've they gotten away with not doing the right thing for quite a long time in many different ways. People in Congress seem to be in their pocket because they're not exerting their will to fix it. But the solution here is to make them do the right thing, not to have the American citizens provide aid out of their taxes. That would let the railroads off the hook. I think Biden did the right thing. I thought the d- disaster declaration is a terrible idea. Norfolk Southern owes damages in a huge amount. And so far, while they're claiming they're going to do something, they've been pretty poor in what their performance has been. So having somebody lean on them and having the courts bring them to bear, that's the way to go.
2: Absolutely. And like I said, I think it was a great compromise. I don't know how DeWine feels about his disaster declaration request being denied for now. We haven't heard his his, uh, response on that.
0: Well, and remember, DeWine was one of the ones in the beginning saying this isn't fit for a disaster declaration, Mm -hmm. but there was so much political pressure brought to bear that he finally put in for it. But it didn't make sense. Norfolk Southern did this. Norfolk Southern needs to pay all damages for the long time. So we'll have to see how that goes when they have him in Congress. J.D. Vance and Sherrod Brown must be getting tired of the lack of movement in Congress on this. This seems like a no brainer to impose rules on these guys to make them behave better. And it's going nowhere.
2: You mean the rail safety act? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: We're just not. The railroad's right. As of today, this could happen again tomorrow and it would be, oh, well. And I, you know, I just don't think anybody trusts Norfolk Southern here. Interesting move by Biden. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With the shortage of family physicians making it harder and harder to schedule appointments in a timely manner, you'd think any family doctor training program is worth preserving. So why is University Hospital shutting down its family medicine residency, Courtney?
3: Yeah, this reasoning is, you know, laid out in a September 12th staff memo that we got from University Hospitals. It said it's doing away with this family medicine residency program at its main campus to pivot to meet the needs of the ever evolving healthcare and education landscapes and when we tried to get some more information university hospitals cited the fact that family medicine has become more community based and focused on outca- outpatient care over the past you know 20 years and and that's feeding into their change here so it seems like they're responding to Patient preferences, I, I think, is what they're saying there. But but this family medicine residency program at UH's main campus, you know, we talked to a few different alumnus of the program, and they're they're really raising concerns about this. Not only do we have you know a shortage of such providers, and and that's a growing concern here and, and elsewhere. Those folks are are worried that that this will contribute to the shortage, and. You, Also important here is UHS residency program for family medicine has really been tackling kind of some of the, some of the most, you know, complex patient needs in the area around the hospital. We're talking about poor families and, and folks without, you know, great connections to other good healthcare. Um, And, and this is a program that, that helps infants, kids, pregnant women, adults, both for, for both in-hospital and outpatient care.
0: Yeah, and you you said we got this from University Hospitals. Actually, they did not issue a press release about this. Anytime they have something opening in Twinsburg, they make sure to tell us about it. But we had to get this from people inside the hospital who were very upset about this. They, They feel like this is an abandonment of important work. And then when Julie Washington tried to get more information from University Hospitals, They just kept saying, you know, read the memo, read the memo, and the memo doesn't really describe it. The people involved in this program believe that University Hospitals is abandoning a a section of the city, abandoning important work, and we really don't have a good answer as to why.
3: Yeah, you know, we did one of those folks who graduated from the program and seems pretty sad to see it go was Dr. Vanessa Mayer. She's over at Case Western Reserve School of Medicine. She's also the director of Metro Health School Health Program. And and she really talked about the vulnerable populations this residency program has served. You know, and we talked to a second person who was concerned to see it go away, she was also a graduate of the program. So there's question marks about the gap that that'll, that'll come for folks who've taken advantage of this program over the years. You know, university hospitals said there's, there's other places around Cleveland they can go and, and things like that. But it, it's kind of a bummer to hear it it leave.
0: Yeah. We should put out there are six doctors who were entered into the program in the past year. Yes. You're listening to today in Ohio. Does a deed restriction mean anything anymore? And you have to love when neighborhood residents fight City Hall, or in this case, a school district, and over trees, Laura. What's the interesting battle going on in which residents are standing guard to protect trees from chainsaws of the Cleveland School District?
1: This is old trees versus new school. And at issue is what the owner of the property, Frank Cudell, wanted when he granted this land to the city of Cleveland in the early 1900s after his death. So residents in the neighborhood which obviously is named for him. He was an architect. They say the gift was contingent on preserving the trees. The Cleveland Metropolitan School District says there's no such deed restriction, and they want to build a new Marion Seltzer school there. The school is nearby. Rather than renovating it, which was the original plan, they want to build a new one, and the plans have changed multiple times over the last five years, and now they want to build where these trees are. And They wanted to start construction in October, but because a these neighbors, these residents who I, we heard they were like, basically not chaining themselves to the trees, but protecting the trees physically. I don't know that they were there all the time, but the trees had signs. I mean, it, it, it does feel like this, you know, do gooder or tree people thing. Um, they took it to a judge, and there's a stay for about a month while they try to figure it out.
0: I don't understand how the school district can say there's no deed restriction. I mean, it's pretty black and white, right? There is a deed restriction. He said this will forever. I think that's the actual word in the deed restriction, be a park. And if you violate a deed restriction like that, the property will revert to the heirs. How is the district getting around that? They just think it's I- so much time has passed, they can they can ignore it?
1: I don't know. The thing is he deeded the, the land to the city and then the city swapped it with the school district. So I don't know if there's something no, in that.
0: That's not. Okay. But the deed restriction is in perpetuity. You can't, you can't play games like that. You If you give it to the city with the condition, it always be a park. The deed restriction carries forward. I, I don't get it. I mean, we've seen a similar case down at, at um, Wade park in that area when the, Botanical, garden, botanical garden charging money when the deed restriction had said it would always be free. And to my amazement, the Supreme Court ended up agreeing that the, the museum could stay there, the Botanical Garden could stay there, which made no sense. So maybe that'll happen here, but it's pretty clear cut. That was given to the city with the condition it's be a park in perpetuity, which is what the residents are saying. I don't understand how you can get around that.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know either, and it got us talking in the newsroom about other deeds, like in Bay Village, you can't use the pool on Sunday. And I went and I looked up at that will, which is on the Bay Village website, and it clearly says there should be no bathing, boating, games, or sports that take place in Cahoon Park. So they have followed that decree for more than 100 years, and no one's trying to change that in Bay Village.
0: Yeah, Bob Higgs, one of our staff members who has a law degree, said there are deed restrictions that, that can be thrown out. Like somebody left the property and in perpetuity said, you know, no Hispanic people can use this land. That would not be allowed. That would be thrown out or so. And things that are obviously illegal cannot stand. Actually, he, he suspects that in your town, somebody could argue that that's an illegal religious uh, restriction and could probably be thrown out. But The park doesn't have any of that. So you would think that the park would stand. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Hey Lisa, is Cleveland's east side under invasion? Why have we seen thunderous runs each night this week by convoys of huge military helicopters?
2: Huge and loud, and they've been—you know—I live just a couple miles south of Cuyahoga County Airport, where they've been deploying from. So the U.S. Defense Department has been holding military training exercises with these choppers all week. They're supposed to wrap up tomorrow. Um, they're working with local and uh, federal officials on these ex- on these exercises, and they've. Been in both night and day. They've been very loud. These big, I don't know what they are, if they're Blackhawks. What I've seen, and I, it's usually about 10 at night, I hear them coming over the house, I run outside, and I see two really big choppers and two smaller Falling, following behind, and they're flying just above the tree line. It almost sounds like they're going to land on your house. And of course, social media has lit up all week over this. Um, as some people said, you know, uh, they complained there was no public notice. Some said they were scared and thought there was going to be martial law declared. Some spun up conspiracy theories. There was even a thread on Reddit that there was blaming the Canadians for it. Um, But, uh, you know, some groups, some governments did post warnings. Highland Heights, Willoughby Hills, and Euclid Police and Fire Departments did post warnings about these on their social media last Friday and Saturday. So, you know, it is what it is. The
0: unanswered question, though, is why the military is doing training over suburbs. What part of the military mission do they think is going to involve heavy artillery helicopters flying over neighborhoods. What's, what's that about? And you're right. It is so loud. It's deafening. You can't have a conversation when they're over your house. Nobody can hear each other. And it feels like an earthquake. I mean, I, I don't know mm-hmm. that I've ever felt my house shake like it shook uh, under those because they are just above you. But mm-hmm. I don't understand why they're doing it in a Cleveland suburb. That's not usually the, the theater for military action.
2: I don't know. They probably have training exercises for urban warfare. I mean, that would be my guess. Of course, they're not going to tell us. And honestly, they really don't talk about military training exercises. They really don't, you know, um, promote them before they happen. So this is not unusual in my mind. But um, yeah, but but it is an airport. It's it's a regional airport. There's not a whole lot around it. Maybe it was a better staging area for their exercises.
0: Well, maybe they could have used them for the demolition of the Richmond mall nearby. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to today in Ohio are the Cleveland Cavaliers moving their practice facility back to Cleveland. What was the big downtown development news Thursday, courtesy of the cabs, Courtney?
3: Yeah, we got this big announcement from Cavs owner, Dan Gilbert's, you know, real estate group and his, you know, cabs and his whole, umbrella of businesses. You know, he's looking to bring the Cavs training back to downtown. And we're talking about a big new facility right by the river. And it would end up being an anchor of these big looming plans of bedrocks to to put a huge multi-billion dollar development along the Eastern Bank of the Cuyahoga and remake Tower City. We're starting to see those plans pick up. And this seems like a big kind of gem of an announcement right on the front end as we're learning about public financing and what that project might end up looking like someday. So the Cavs announced yesterday they intended to team up with the Cleveland Clinic to build this this big training facility. They're calling it the Global Peak Performance Center. And they really kind of touted that this wouldn't only be used by the Cavs, pro athletes, But that everyday athletes could go there for care and and tap the Cleveland Clinic resources that would be on site. The plan is to build this center at Canal Road and Eagle Avenue behind Terminal Tower. And another building would be built across Eagle Avenue here. And remember, if this is part of that big bedrock planning and that includes a full 35 acres of things like office buildings, housing, public parks, riverfront walkway. So this would just be one piece of it. But the camps coming back to downtown would be pretty notice- notable for their training facility. And I'm sure the city wouldn't be mad about how that may impact their income tax revenues.
0: This does get back, though, to the conversation we had yesterday about the TIF, the the tax district they want to create downtown where any increase in taxes based on the new development would get plowed back into downtown and couldn't be spent in the neighborhoods. And, and there's an, I don't think there's any uh, coincidence that at the same time we're having that conversation, the cabs do this, they would clearly want some of that extra money, but it's it remains a troubling development about how they're going to pay for this stuff.
3: You know, you've got to think tax revenues are are part of the question here. I'm sure, like you said, it was no coincidence of the timing of the announcement here. Um, but it does raise questions about what's going to happen with the CAF's current training facility, which is down in Independence. That opened just back in 2007. And and that came after Cleveland and the City of Independence struck a tax revenue sharing deal for the Cavs payroll. We're talking about big money here. And when we reached out to Independence Mayor Gregory Kurtz, he he didn't really give us a a great feel for what's going to happen with that facility. Um, He said it really opens up the possibilities for what independence could do. But that strikes me as a pretty big question mark going forward. What happens with that big building down there?
0: Right. This gets back into the whole idea about poaching from each other. If we were one countywide city, there wouldn't be these kinds of problems. But independents competed to get the facility down there. They built this thing for the Cavs. They own it. Their lease runs out in 2026, and if the Cavs leave, they're left with this big dinosaur on their hands. Meanwhile, now Cleveland sounds like it's planning to do some creative financing of its own to, to provide subsidies to this thing. I was thinking about this after we talked about it yesterday. You know, you know, when Mike White was mayor, he would have never gone for a plan that kept money downtown and not in the neighborhoods. And if Jane Campbell as mayor had proposed that, which I don't know that she would have, Frank Jackson, as city council president, would have blocked it. And then for 16 years, there's no way Frank Jackson would have ever done this. Who stands up for the neighborhoods today? I mean, if Blaine Griffin is all in, if Justin Bibb's all in, who's going to raise this? Because the, in the past, you always had somebody going, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to continue to care about the entire city. Is there anybody on the horizon that has a sense of that, that you think has the juice to to bring it up?
3: I mean, we're going to have to see where council goes, my mind goes, where where your, yours goes. I think Blaine Griffin is probably going to have some questions about this, and 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 lots of council members concerned about their neighborhoods. That's a frequent refrain we hear. I'm sure that's going to be a big piece of the conversation as it starts to open up.
0: All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Mike DeWine and Marcy Kaptur tested positive this week, and we do wish them speedy recoveries. But for the first time in 10 weeks, Ohio's cases are down. We're talking about the coronavirus Lisa, by how many and what's the good news for those of us who want to keep some tests around for when they get their neck sore throat?
2: So yesterday's weekly update of COVID cases in our area found that the number of cases dropped by 1,466 down to 8,224 new cases in the last week. It's the first decrease after 10 weeks of steadily rising cases since our low point back in July 6th of just 1,286 cases in a week. So um, as of 920, I'm sorry, as of 922, Of this of last year, we were at 14,536, so it's quite a bit lower than it was last year. Hospitalizations, though, were up in the last week. 312 more people were hospitalized last week. Deaths from COVID were up by 28, and then ICU admissions rose just slightly. They're only up nine over the last week. But the good news from the Biden administration is that he's authorized $600 million to 12 U.S.-based COVID test manufacturers to ensure an adequate supply throughout the season. 200 million tests will be uh, manufactured and starting on Monday, the 25th, you can again order free COVID tests up to four per household at covidtest.gov. These tests are good for currently circulating variants and they're for use through the end of 2023, but there are instructions on how you can verify extended expiration dates on these tests. They will be delivered by the U.S. Postal Service after you order them. Um, the Health and Human Services says that they can take online orders through the holidays and they will extend it out if case. Cases
0: rise. You know, I wonder how accurate these counts are anymore, because how do they even get reported? My wife had COVID a couple of weeks ago, and that's not reported anywhere. Uh, I keep hearing of more and more people who get it, and they get it, and they take care of business, and they're back at, at work or whatever. How how is How do you even track that? because it's not like you're going to the pharmacy for a test anymore.
2: I think it's there. they are only tracking people who are interacting with the healthcare system. You know, they go to the doctor for symptoms, ask for Paxlovid. You know, that's, that's probably the only way they're counting.
0: No. Oh, well, my wife did get the antiviral. So maybe she is counted. Okay. Well, good to hear that. It's finally crested. We hope and will not be <laughs> rising anymore. We'll have to see where it goes from here.
1: I got my vaccine yesterday. Um, And it was really easy. I'd scheduled it a week out, but I tried to get my kids appointments and none to be had. So people are getting it.
0: Well, yeah, we got, we received some emails about that, that it's almost impossible to find it for kids. What time did you get it? That was
1: little kids. um, Cause you can get five and up at the pharmacy. I got it at 11 o'clock on yesterday on a Thursday. So that it went pretty smoothly. But if I tried to get any appointments, I'm just saying people have snagged up all the appointments. So it feels like it's the first time in years that people are like, yes, I'm going to go get this vaccine as soon as it comes out. Are you
0: feeling any uh, effects?
1: No. I mean, my arm was a little sore. I got the flu shot. They put one in each arm. They're like, that way, if you have a reaction, we'll know which one it was. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wow. That's amazing. I had the Moderna for the first time and about 18 hours after I had it, it knocked me down for about 18 hours. I mean, it was good. My immune system was on fire, um, but that hadn't happened when I had done the Pfizer. This is
1: Pfizer and I've only ever had Pfizer. So I'm going to stick with Pfizer if I can.
0: Well, I'm kind of glad that I had the reaction. It tells me that my body fired up. This is a completely new vaccine. It doesn't have any of the old stuff in it. And I always wondered when I got the boosters, I'm not feeling anything. Is this working? Must be, because I haven't had it yet. Cross fingers. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Courtney, Was it? what is it about campaign signs that brings out the worst in some politicians? Why is a Willoughby Hills candidate for mayor in hot water over political signs? It seems like something we deal with every year.
3: Yeah, I, and I always crack up when these stories come back around on the election cycle, right? It just always seems to happen without fail. And now we're talking about Willoughby Hills and the mayoral race there. Mayoral candidates out there are bickering over whether campaign signs were stolen from a resident's yard. And this involves Laura Pismet. She's one candidate. And then Councilman Chris Hallam is the other candidate. And Pismet has accused Hallam of stealing her yard sign from the yard of a home on Chardon Road and putting up his own yard sign instead. And. Willoughby Hills Police were called as part of this. Now the investigation has been handed over to the Lake County Sheriff's Office. But we, our reporter, Molly Walsh, actually got a hold of the wife of the apparent property owner, and she kind of tried to dampen all the drama that's kind of emerged around this. She said, this story has been blown out of proportion. But the best I can make out of it, from what we were hearing from that Councilman Hallam, he had posted to Facebook earlier this week, making it sound like the husband and the wife of this property, of the, the property owners, had each okayed different candidates to put signs in their yard. Hallam is saying maybe he misunderstood, but when he got the okay from the male property owner to go put up his sign, he he took down Laura Pismet's mayoral, mayoral sign. So, I mean, it's just unfolded into this drama and this back and forth. Callum, for his part, is just chalking this up to a communication gap between the couple who owns the property. He says it's over, but the Bismet, she disagrees. She she's, you know, standing by the fact that just because both she and her had permission to post signs on the same property doesn't mean that the councilman was allowed to yank her sign off the yard.
0: Yeah, it's just it's amazing how you know, why would you even bother pulling the sign out of the yard? Right. It's a sign. Who cares? But they take it so seriously. They count the numbers that are in the yards and they pay such close attention to it. Has anybody ever voted for a candidate because of a political sign in somebody's yard?
3: Absolutely not. That's for Mm -hmm. speaking for me. But, you know, sometimes people get worked up when properties are like on a prime corner or at a prime intersection. They want their name posted there.
0: I guess just uh, it's all we'll and we'll see more of it we have months to go. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We're heading into a fall weekend. Fall starts Saturday. So let's talk a bit about football. When number 1 <laughs> draft pick Baker Mayfield got injured at the beginning of the season in 2021, the Browns kept playing him and he was terrible and got more hurt. At season end, they kick kicked their would be franchise quarterback to the curb and ransomed their future on Deshaun Watson. Laura, how's that going? How do the performances of these two quarterbacks compare so far?
1: We all know that I am not an avid Browns fan, but even I was interested in the story by Jimmy Watkins, and he he's he has such a great tone with it. Basically, he's saying, "What is this worth to you, Cleveland?" So when the, the Browns decided to get Deshaun Watson and they let Baker Mayfield go, they trade, you know, for three first-round picks, five picks total, two hundred thirty million dollars, and the public's goodwill. So Watson is, should be amazing, right? For all of this, but Uh, What Jimmy says is it feels fair to wonder why he can't even match his predecessor's production. So over the last eight games, Baker Mayfield owns a completion percentage almost eight points higher than Watson's in the same span. This is according to Pro Football Reference. Mayfield's quarterback rating is 11 points better. He ranks seventh among quarterbacks in expected points adding per play. Watson ranks 30th. Yeah. He's saying, look, I know there are a lot of extenuating circumstances. Watson went 700 days or something without playing football. But, hey, Baker was injured, too, and he still performed better than Deshaun Watson's performing now.
0: Well... And in two games so far this season, he has not thrown an interception. And Deshaun Watson has thrown a couple. I, I I never did understand why the Browns mistreated Baker Mayfield the way they did. He, he got hurt and kept playing, which was a mistake. But they played him. And then when he didn't do well, they treated him terribly. And, of course, once he was gone, all sorts of rumors get released about how he wasn't liked in the in the locker room. It was terrible. I just thought it was a terrible way to treat somebody yeah. and you know we've talked about the sean watson they lost female fans because of it
1: and because mm-hmm. they of, lost fans period because of
0: it yeah. and but stinks. to be
2: fair about baker mayfield is that you know he insisted upon playing it's not like they forced him to play he says i want to play and they let him play so yeah, but, you but, know which was a bad idea on both sides but you know they're just clarifying they're, the record.
0: But they're in charge. They're, they're the ones that pick the players on the field. So they could have said, yeah, we appreciate your your enthusiasm, but you're not playing. I mean, it's, uh, it's their franchise quarterback, and he was seriously hurt. Why would you keep playing him and then abuse him because he doesn't do well? The whole thing is yeah, stupid from was, day one. Everything they've done. It was done, really
1: negative. And then it's not just like, oh, well, we got another quarterback. Like, they basically – traded everything to get Deshaun Watson, hoping that he could bring them a Super Bowl. And it is not looking likely. And he doesn't have Chubb. That,
2: right. that changes
1: There's, everything, right? That's what was keeping
3: me watching was Nick Chubb. He's gone now.
0: Well, they've got an incredible defense. Terry Pluto runs through today. Just how stellar the defense has been—they've been given up one touchdown, really. I mean, all the points that are being scored are being scored off of Watson. Uh, but, but it—it's—it's it's just one of those. It's a great story by by Jimmy. Looking at what were you guys thinking? And of course, there's lots of season left. Maybe it'll change, but so far, it's not looking like yeah. any of this was smart.
1: We had a story come over last night, right? Basically, it said the Deshaun Watson says sooner or later it's going to click. It's like, of course, going to say that. <laughs> he's going to $230 million.
0: Yeah, we'll see. You're listening to today in Ohio. That's it for the week. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Lisa. Everybody, have a great weekend. We'll be back Monday to talk about the news.